Today we are hearing the story of Cornelius and it's a story that not only changed his life, it changed the whole history of world history. And that's the story we're going to hear this morning. Because in the first year or so, you may remember, the Church of Jesus Christ had only Jewish people in it, people from a Jewish background, Jewish heritage, people who saw in Jesus the fulfilment of their Jewish faith. And so it was very Jewish in character all the way through. Now, had that continued, had the Church of Christ been only of people from a Jewish background, you and I would not be in church this morning. And so the story of Cornelius changes all that. Because today we'll hear how something new and breathtaking is brought about by the Spirit of God. And Cornelius is at the heart of it. Now Kim has kindly agreed to read the whole of Cornelius' story. It it is quite a full story, but I hope as she uh, reads it, you'll be caught up in this dramatic moment in the history of the Christian church. Today's reading is from Acts, chapter 10 and 11. It starts at verse 1 of chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. 
So Peter goes off to the house of Cornelius, and this reading is from verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still, was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem... The circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kim, for reading so beautifully this morning. Now, so have, did you catch from that reading uh, that this is the, this, this is the moment uh, when the Church of Jesus becomes the church for everyone, the church as we know it today, all races, all backgrounds, that church is the church that comes into being at this moment in Cornelius' house. This is the spirit spring of today's worldwide church. So let's just look for a brief moment at the four key players in this uh, world-changing moment. Uh, Obviously, first of all, let's look at Cornelius. Cornelius, as you heard, a Roman centurion, senior officer in a brutal army, feared throughout the world, the local representative of uh, dominant world power, mighty local power, Someone who could have you killed or imprisoned, snap over the fingers, that sort of person. But we've seen already how God can get to anybody. And God had reached out already into the life of Cornelius and and broken into even his hard military heart. And Cornelius became a real seeker after truth. He was prepared to be open to the Jewish people around him and learnt from their traditions and learnt from their understanding of God. And so there was building up in him by the work of the Holy Spirit a real hunger to know more. And as he recognised 
the value of what was around him, so he won the respect, as we've heard, of that Jewish community. And yet God knows, as he knows with each one of us, he knows the right time when it is for each of us to do something more and to move on in our faith journey. We've heard this vision given to Cornelius and to send for the man Peter. And actually, Peter, uh, Cornelius, out of his integrity, follows this vision and sends for Peter. And then as he hears Peter talk about Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes on him. And his mind and his heart is transformed in that very minute. And not just him, his whole household and friends around him. The Holy Spirit said, Cornelius, this is your moment. And this is the moment when through you, I want to bring my new church into being. And Cornelius, with that straightforwardness, which is so often characteristic of people from a military background, says, right, what happens next? I get baptised, don't I? And he says, yes, you do. And at that moment, Cornelius sets aside all concerns of rank and status and influence, sets aside any concern about personal embarrassment and says, I'm baptised. I'm now one of the Jesus people from now on, me and my household. And that's who I am and who I will be. So that's Cornelius' little story, isn't it? But, but what about Peter? What, what happens to him? Because the journey in Peter is almost as great, if not greater, than the journey within Cornelius. I wonder if you could sense how much prejudice and barrier of racial inheritance Peter has to overcome. Not only just to go into the house, of Cornelius, but actually to preach the good news of Jesus to him. Uh, Debbie, this morning, in that very moving account of her week, has uh, said that we need leaders who are prepared to have their heads messed with. Well, God has messed with Peter's head big time. What I have called clean, Peter, whatever your Jewish inheritance, you are not to call un- unclean. Uh, you, you welcome people as I welcome them. The amazing vision of all the dirty animals that Peter, by his religious tradition, was banned from touching, and then these breathtaking words, aren't they? What God has made clean, you must not make unclean. Do you sense that huge journey? That great transformation of mindset? He's got to see Cornelius in a way in which he's never looked at a Gentile person before. He's got to see that person in front of him with fresh and new eyes. I I belong to a a little book group, a little uh, reading book, uh, reading group. Uh, And just last week, we we met to talk about a, a book which is about how we understand our experience of dementia and how we see people as they go through that journey with dementia. And it was about how we see other people, and it was about how we see ourselves, should our journey take us through the journey of dementia, and that's our 
direction of ourselves. And we were challenged as we read this excellent book that at the heart of it was a discussion as to how God sees people. And we were challenged to remember that God knows them, as we often say, equally as he knows us. God remembers them as much as God remembers you and me. God holds and values them as he holds and values us together. And people with dementia, me with dementia, should that be the direction? As with any other medical condition, do not stop being who we are before the face of the living God. But what we do have to come to terms with is the way in which we label people. And I guess some of the Northern Ireland experience is about how we take off the traditional labels and put on new labels, seeing these people and this situation in new ways with the eyes of God. And unlike the way we often use labels to define people and contain them and put them over there, God sees them as he sees us, as, as, as people first that he loves. Before his vision, Peter would have labelled Cornelius as unclean, beyond the pale of God and God's people. And God says to Peter, that's your label, it's not my label. Terror. See him as you must see all people as I see them. Look at people through my eyes, not yours. And that's why I think Peter's first words to Cornelius in that household were, God has no favourites. I see that now. And seeing people as, as God sees them can sometimes be difficult and sometimes it can be controversial. It challenges our prejudices and it challenges our preconceptions. I know a church uh, in the southeast which, which runs something called the Recovery Course. It's for people with all sorts of addictive behaviours. And people have come on that course and have been immensely helped by it. Some have become Christians and their whole life has been transformed. Uh, yet this church has been criticised by the local community for running that recovery course because the local authority doesn't want that particular community to be known as a place where there are people with addiction. Churches, even in Guildford, who, who reach out to the homeless or to run food banks have similarly been criticised, haven't they, for giving prominence to the needs of people who sometimes the authorities would prefer were simply kept below the horizon. But that's not what seeing people through God's eyes is all about. But seeing people as God sees them is always going to be challenging. It's always going to, to use today's phrase, mess with our heads. So what about the third player here? Isn't the third player the Holy Spirit himself the spirit of the living God, creating the hunger in Cornelius. God was working through his spirit in Cornelius, years perhaps, before Peter ever walked through that front door. 
The Spirit gives Peter the vision and the Spirit calls Peter to respond. And the Holy Spirit brings together God's new communities where all the labels in this world stop mattering anymore. So who's the fourth player here? Well, for me, it's simply the wider church because after all that amazing experience, after all this amazing encounter of the Holy Spirit with Cornelius, the good old established church, the church of the Jewish heritage says, Peter, what on earth do you think you're doing? How dare you go into the house of a Gentile person? How dare you preach the good news of, of, of Jesus to them? And Peter is severely criticised and he has to defend himself. And Peter simply tells the story and says that what he was doing was God's work. And to give the wider church due credit and grace, they recognise and affirm that this was God's moment to do a new thing. That this was indeed God's moment to recognise that the promise to Abraham that all the people of the world will be blessed was indeed fulfilled in Jesus. And this is the moment when all the peoples of the world would form the church of Jesus Christ from now on. And again, just seeing that can be quite challenging. You think, well, yeah, of course. But I know another church which, which has become quite small and inward-looking, and yet they've got on saying to one another, uh, we'd love it if more people came. And through a variety of circumstances, n- new people came. But they weren't the sort of people that they expected to come. And so the church began to change. And people said, well, yes, it's great that these new people are coming, uh, but it doesn't feel like our church anymore. And yet God was bringing his church together where labels don't matter anymore, except in Christ. And to see people with God's eyes is what matters. Because the point was, it was never their church, it's never our church. It's always the church of the Holy Spirit, the church of Jesus Christ. And so just at the end then, uh, these three questions. Do you believe, do you believe that there are still Corneliuses around you? People around you wanting more than Cornelius' high status or his national belonging could give him. People who simply want more. People hungry for the real thing. Do you believe that there are people like that around you that you meet with, that you pass by every day of your life? People who want more. And underneath that, do you believe that the Holy Spirit is still working? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is still working, drawing people into his church? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is still working even in those people around you? Creating that hunger, creating that desire, so that God's unlikely church will still grow today. And so this last question, will you and I be willing to be one of God's Peter's people. 
people who will see the people around us with fresh eyes, people who will be willing to be part of their good news story. Now, just to hear those as I've heard them myself during the week, obviously it's easy to feel overwhelmed and inadequate. How can I do that? I'm just me. But here's this. You can at least, I can at least, pray. And so, here's the challenge from the Thy Kingdom Come week, which we will look at in a minute. Do you remember last year, and the year before actually, the ten days between Ascension and Pentecost, those ten days, were set aside for the Thy Kingdom Come initiative. And it became an international focus that during that time, the worldwide church would pray quite simply a simple prayer that people would come to faith in Jesus. That's all. But to pray it for ten days. And to pray it specifically, maybe, I think the challenge was for five people around you. And we're doing it again this year from... Uh, the 10th to the 20th of May. Debbie's at the heart of the arrangements in the diocese. But here's just, I hope, two little videos uh, which will introduce uh, that through the mouth of Justin Welby. The um, church computer is a bit old and slow this morning, like me, and it may not actually uh, deliver, but let's have a go to see if uh, these two little video clips work. Rests on the conviction that the strongest power in the world is unseen. Thy kingdom come is built on this conviction given to us by Jesus. Often when we pray, we don't see immediate results. But we know we should trust and believe that God hears our prayers. The testimony of many people is that God has used the prayers and witness of others to bring the reality of the good news to their lives. I'd like to give you an example and tell you about a friend of mine, Brian. As he sat, beginning his fourth time in prison at the age of 20, he felt life couldn't get any worse. When I was 18, through a whole set of rather unfortunate circumstances, I ended up getting incredibly involved with drugs. And then I became homeless. And off the back of that, I ended up in prison. All that time I was in prison, people were praying for me. And to my amazement, my solicitor was a Christian, my probation officer was a Christian, my cellmate was exploring faith and was a Christian. It was almost like wherever I went, I couldn't get away from God. In fact, once my probation officer threw a Bible at me and said, you should read this book. After being arrested for the fourth time, I ended up in a probation hostel. And in that probation hostel, sitting on my bed, I opened up the Bible. And the Bible spoke to me so powerfully about the fact that Jesus saves. And at that moment, on my own, in that probation hostel, I gave my life to Jesus. And my life was radically transformed. Brian's life is evidence of the years of prayer. The gentle nudges from friends and even the not-so-gentle probation officer who threw a Bible at him. We all have people in our lives who don't know about Jesus and the difference he longs to bring to them. We get this wonderful opportunity to be involved in people's secret history, the history that is unseen of people who don't give up, who persevere in a world where the culture is instant. We need to be the people who don't give up in praying because when we pray, 
every invite to church, every gentle conversation about God, every prayer for a friend in God's name contributes to someone's sickness. That is why your prayers matter. They really matter. Never underestimate the power and influence that your prayers have on the world. In prayer, God invites us to be his partners in the transformation of the world through transformed lives. So join us for Thy Kingdom Come 2018. Keith, I think we'll leave the second video. It's a bit hard to, to uh, follow and, and hear. At least that had uh, subtitles. And I hope you got the, the, the mood of it, of this great gift that we could have simply by our prayers being part of someone's, and I love that phrase, being part of someone else's secret history. They may never know that you prayed for them for years, but God knows, and God saw, saw, and God understands. So five people is the challenge to pray for that they may find faith in Jesus. They don't need to know you're praying. You don't need to rush up to them and say, by the way, just pray and let God work. But if you do that, it would be great, because I believe God will answer those prayers, if you shared some of those stories with us as the time goes on. Thy kingdom come, 10th to 20th May, is a particular focus of it. But here's the good news. You don't have to wait till the 10th and 20th of May to start praying for five friends around you. You could do it. You can do it now. And they don't have to be special. Just choose five and pray for them, and see what God does. So here's my three questions. Is the Holy Spirit still at work? Are there Corneliuses still seeking and hungering? And are there Peters still willing to be vulnerable and to have their heads messed with? As you know, there's been a wealth of tribute, rightly so, to Billy Graham, who, who, who died recently, And for all his filling of arenas with millions of millions of people down the years, all his wonderful evangelistic ministry, towards the end of his life, he said this, with all that background of of arena evangelism, he said this, I believe the next great move of God will be through people, ordinary Christians, in their workplaces. From the arena to the workplace, praying for five people to come to faith around us. Are the Corneliuses still hungering? It may be that even this morning, there's there's just someone here who, who can't specifically say that they have committed their life to Jesus Christ. They've been in the life of the church, they've been around church for a while. But actually, you know that you can't say, I have made that act of commitment. I have given my life to Jesus Christ. Now, Billy Graham would say something like, I want you to get out of your seats and come to the front. I'm not going to say that this morning. But if you know that this is your Cornelius moment this morning, that if in all honesty and vulnerability, willing to have your head messed with, you look back and you say, do you know, I've never actually specifically committed my life to Jesus Christ. 
And can I invite you to do that response this morning as the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And simply at the end of the service, quietly to come up to Debbie or me and say, do you know, I'd like to give my life to Jesus. I'd like to give my life to Jesus. Those are all the words that you need to say to her or to me and we'll then guide you and take you on. But if you can't say, I have given my life to Jesus, is this the moment for you this morning to cross over like Cornelius did? Big person, mighty job, huge responsibility, great prestige, and yet he was willing to give his life to Jesus Christ because that was what he knew was at the centre of who, who, who he was and who he wanted to be.